Hi, this is John Hemminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. Have you ever wondered if the Christianity that is commonly practiced in our churches today is far different than what Jesus Christ actually taught? Wouldn't it be helpful to be able to hear Jesus for yourself? Thankfully, there are a number of messages that our Lord actually preached that have been preserved for us in the pages of the New Testament. Today, our pastor will lead us in a fourth study of Jesus Christ's most famous message called the Sermon on the Mount. The section we will be examining this morning is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34. In this section of Jesus' sermon, he discusses the reality that you have a choice to either serve God or worldly possessions, but you cannot serve both. In these verses, Jesus discusses why you should base your life choices on eternal values rather than on how you can get ahead in this life. Though Christ understands that your forgetting about self-promotion and self-satisfaction can seemingly lead to worry, he concludes this section of his sermon by telling you that trusting God to meet your needs while seeking his kingdom first is actually the way to escape from worry. I believe you will find our Lord's words from the Sermon on the Mount to be both true and inspiring, so I'd like to invite you to listen in as Pastor Jones presents a message he has entitled, Your Choice, God or This World. Well, it's good to be with you again today, and I'd like to share with you another message of my series on the messages of Jesus Christ, the actual message that he preached while during his public ministry. And today's message will be the fourth that I'll give you on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, the first one we did on the Beatitudes, where Jesus was talking about blessed is the man. And he talks about uh, different people who are blessed or happy. And it was different than we would think. Uh, he talked about the humble person being blessed and actually inheriting the earth, which will not uh, really uh, take place until his kingdom comes. But he mentions that. He mentions blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. He said, blessed are the persecuted, because their reward in heaven is great. So there were several of these blessings that really are so different than how we would view them from our perspective as humans. And then uh, he talked about the similitudes, which are uh, these type of things. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth, talking to his followers. And of course, again, those things are what we're like as believers, and, and so we, we got great instruction from those. And then Jesus uh, mentions in, in the second message his interpretation of the Old Testament law and how he explains that many of the commandments that we just uh, took in a very simple way have far greater ramifications than we think about. Uh, for instance, the issue of murder. The fact that God is not just against murder, but he's against the attitude that leads to murder. And so Jesus talked about uh, unjust anger and, and, and hatred and, and verbal insults and how serious they are in, in his kingdom and for his children. And then he also, our, our third message, we talked about true religion versus false religion. And in that time, we were discussing the issue of uh, fasting and praying and even giving charitable gifts. And in each of those cases, what we found was that you could do the right thing and do it for the wrong reasons. And so true religion really boils down to the right doctrine. We have to worship the true God uh, that leads then to the right actions 
that leads that stems from a right heart that comes from a right relationship with God. So true religion involves the right doctrine, the right actions, the right heart based on the right relationship with God. And so uh, we come today uh, to uh, the, the fourth message that we'll give, and that is uh, the choice that you and I have to make, whether we will live for God or this world. And by this world, what I'm talking about is living for self and living for now, because that's typically how uh, most people on this planet live. They live for themselves and they live for right now. And Jesus is calling us to something that's higher than that. Because the reality is, it's easy for us, all of us, to focus on the things we can see instead of the things that we cannot see. And so we're going to have a choice, either to serve God or worldly possessions. But you can't serve both. Um, Eleanor Roosevelt uh, said something, and this is not a direct quote, but she was talking about the fact that your philosophy is not best expressed in your words. It's expressed in the choices you make. And how true that is. How true that is. And so before we get started, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 to 34. Before we get into this passage, let's have a word of prayer. Father, give us grace as we look into your word. Thank you for the privilege of of studying it. Thank you for those that will take the time and make the effort to think and to consider what you have to say, what Christ had to say while he was on earth. And Lord, we ask that you'll bless this time together. Accomplish what only you can in each heart. For your honor and glory, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing Jesus is going to lay out in the case for living for God in eternity rather than for this world or for self and for now is the reasons behind this choice. And you find that in verses 19 to 21, where Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where, ne- where neither moth nor, no, moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, the, the first reason why Jesus is pointing out we ought to live for God in eternity instead of self and now, is that uh, earthly treasure eventually rots or is stolen. Uh, you know, around the area where I live, I can think of a couple houses that are seemingly rotting away. Uh, the one closest to my house that I have in mind is a fairly large house. I I can imagine that it was built for a family with several children who must have enjoyed running through their home and having nice bedrooms and, uh, as I picture it, family gatherings like Christmas or Thanksgiving. Now, I've been in my area for over 20 years, so the last thing I can recall that showed any life at this place was a chalk drawing on the road directly in front of the house that I believe celebrated someone getting married. Uh, But that's been several years. And now in the years since, I've seen basically no activity at the place. As far as I can recall, Uh, large bushes are now crowding out the windows. Moss is literally taking over the roof. The lawn, as best as I can tell, is never mowed. What was once the pride and joy of a family is now uh, rotting to the ground. Many of you have seen the same thing, or you've maybe you've driven by a field or a house and seen an old car or truck or tractor that is rusting away. When you think of it, all that we can hold in our hands is aging and will soon be gone. That is Jesus' point. Why live for things that will soon be ruined or stolen when you can live for eternity? Suppose that... Uh, you came into some serious money, 
and you said to yourself, you know, I'd like to give old Pastor Jones a million dollars. He seems to be a responsible kind of guy, and I know he'll use that money I entrust to him to help others and to share the gospel. So I almost fall over one day as I go to my mailbox and pull out your check for a million dollars. And all you said in your little note there uh, by the check, you said that you gave it to me to invest as I see fit for eternity. So five years go by and you start to wonder, well, well, I wonder what Pastor Jones did with the money I entrusted to him. So you come to see me and immediately you notice that I'm quite large. Maybe you knew me before and I've put on quite a bit of weight. Uh, You notice that my teeth are rotting out. And so you asked me, Pastor Jones, what did you do with my million dollars that I gave you? Well, you can tell I kind of look sheepish, and I, as I try to rationalize my decision to you, well, I tell you, I thought since I'm a preacher for God, one of the best ways I could invest your money wisely was to invest in myself. You see, I need to keep myself happy as I serve, so I spent your million dollars on a lifetime supply of my favorite food, cotton candy. Now, it's at that point you notice a a blue hue that is around my mouth from the uh, intense cotton candy use for five years. And what you, what would you think of my investment in of your the treasure you had given me at that point? I if I were in your shoes, I'd wanna I'd wanna punch um, that guy in the mouth who's got the blue the blue hue around his mouth from from who knows how many uh, calories of cotton candy going down. A million dollars on cotton candy? I can hear somebody yelling at th- that at me. Now, do you think you'd have a right to be angry with the way I spent the funds that you entrusted to me? Oh, I agree. I agree you'd have every, every right to be frustrated. Why? Because I chose to spend your investment on myself. You thought I was going to use it to be a blessing to other people. I chose to, in, to take your investment and use it on something that was going to rot. And I chose to invest in something that not only didn't help me, but why do you think I have the rotten teeth and have put on some serious weight? I've, I've invested in something that actually ended up damaging me. Dear friend, maybe some of you have already seen where I'm going with this. Now let me ask you this. What has God invested in you? Well, he's given you life. He's giving you time. He's given you a measure of health. Many of you have been blessed with, with, with a good family. On top of that, you may have possessions that God has blessed you with. Many other wonderful things could be listed, but the first four, your life, your time, your health, your family, um, these are priceless. So what have you done with God's investments in you? Have you used the life and the time and the health and and even your family and other possessions he has given you to invest in his eternal kingdom? Or have you honestly spent them basically on yourself for things that are going to rot and sometimes even harm you? I'd be embarrassed to face you if I had spent your million dollars on on cotton candy. So how do you suppose you're going to feel when you stand before God Almighty and give an account to him for how you've invested the blessings he has given you in this life. Jesus is saying, lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. You've got something higher to invest in than that. 
The second thing and second reason why we ought not to invest in in things that uh, are going to rot away and, and, and things that aren't going to last is because your treasure is connected with your heart. In verse 21, Jesus says this, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, a couple ways you can look at this. And I'll just add, uh, uh, do that by asking a couple questions. Does your treasure determine your heart? I think it does. Uh, that is, what you learn to treasure as you go through life becomes essentially who you are as a person. For instance, a banker is not born with the ability to calculate interest and make financial decisions. He's become good at what he does because he spends hours thinking and studying about financial matters. Think about um, an ad that I often hear on this station where a person says that uh, they, they think about real estate 24-7. Well, I, I obviously, uh, we all know that that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but, but this person, what are they saying? They're saying this matters to us. This is something that we take great interest in. And so we, that's why we become good at it, because we work at this. Well, this is why those who advise others as to career choices often tell their counselees to do what they love. Why? Because what you love to, uh, to spend your time doing and thinking about uh, with little effort is probably what you're going to be good at. Your treasure is connected with your heart. It, your treasure does determine where your heart's going to go. Typically, the more success you have in a field, the more you're going to want to continue to think about it and be involved in it. And so Jesus is saying, your treasure, uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I, I'm convinced your treasure does determine your heart. But there's another question I could ask, and that is, does your treasure not reveal your heart? And again, I think the answer to this is yes. That is, if someone to, were to ask uh, you, um, or let's put it this way, if someone were to have access to your mind, could he or she not see your true heart by simply examining what you think about the most? give you a couple questions that might help you discern where your heart is. What consumes your mind when your thoughts are your own? Is it relationships or work or business? Is it sports or family? Is it entertainment? Things of God? What? Where does your mind go when it can go anywhere? Um, there's nothing basically that you have to think about at that moment. Or how about this question? What motivates you in your decision making? Uh, that is this. Why are you kind to other people? Is it because it's the wisest way to get ahead? Or it makes you feel good when you're kind to people? Or is it that you really, really need to be liked by people so you value their opinion? Or is it the fact that God made that person and God wants you to be kind and you want to please Him? Why is it that we're kind to people? How about this one? What is uh, is your ethics? What's the foundation of your ethics? Are you, uh, let's say you're offered a great job, but you, you're going to have to uh, be deceptive at times. Um, so what will you decide about a job like that? What, are you going to say, well, this works best for me right now? Or do you say, well, no, I'm not going to take that job if I've got to be dishonest. And, and, and then again, we have to ask, well, why? why? Why does that bother you being dishonest? Well, you say, well, because I want to stay out of trouble. I don't want to go to jail. Well, that's that's a certainly... Uh, um, a right motivation, but is that it? Is it merely to stay out of trouble? Or is it because you you, you honestly um, have a fear of God and say, you know what, God doesn't want me to be dishonest, and I'm going to stand before Him and give an account for how I lived my life one day. What is the basis for your ethics? I'll give you another question. What do you really love? That is this, if you could do anything you wanted for a day, 
How would you spend it? Some of you might say, well, I'd, be, I'd spend it alone. I'd just like to get away for a little while. And there's nothing wrong with that in its time. Or I'd spend it with my wife or my husband or my boyfriend or girlfriend. I'd, I'd spend it with my children. And again, nothing wrong with that at all. Uh, others would say, well, I'll spend it on, on, on entertainment. If I had a day I could do anything I want to, I'd spend it on my friends, another person would say. Or another person would say, I'd, do it, I'd spend it on recreation. But in whatever way we spend that day, would God be at the center of all of that? Or would he even even enter into your mind? What do you really love? So Jesus is saying, two reasons why we ought to lay up our treasures on in heaven and not on earth. And the first one is because what, what you lay up on earth is going to rot or be stolen. And then secondly, your treasure is connected with your heart. And if you want to have a heart that is uh, heavenly and, and, and pleasing to God, that's where your thoughts need to be centered. And everything needs to spring from that. Now, then he tells us, that there is a dichotomy of this choice. That is, there you, you can't um, kind of hang on to both at the same time. I can't say, well, okay, I'm going to please God, but I'm also going to live for myself and for now. I'm going to do both. Jesus is saying next, no, you, you can't. Verse 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, what does he mean about this, your eye, and, and, and good or bad? The next verse really explains it. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or, or possessions. You can't serve both. So, I want you to notice two examples that Jesus gives to drive this point home. That I, It's not that I can live for, for God and for the world at the same time. The first one he uses is, is, your, is your eyes. Your eyes illustrate your choice of focus in life, either on focusing on, on, on good or on evil. The eyes that are good bring the person light. The word single has the idea of... Um, in some translations, it says if your eye is single. And that, that word means healthy. The word um, light indicates proper direction for living. And so good eyes are properly, properly focused on God and His Word, and they direct you to follow the light of God's Word. And so the idea is that where I'm, I'm focusing on is what does God say and how does He say that I'm supposed to live? And then, and then everything from your life flows from that. Now the eyes that are evil leave the person in darkness. And the evil can, can, can mean bad or unhealthy. Uh, and so that is reflected in some translations. Actually, uh, this word is used nine times by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, this word that is translated sometimes evil or bad. And six of the times it's used to describe sinful people or things. And the last uh, two times it's used to describe rotten fruit on a tree or evil fruit that represents people's evil deeds. So um, evil eyes are focused on, on living for this sinful world. And, and the person that tries to focus on God and, and evil, uh, Jesus says it doesn't work. And so Christ is saying that, that if it, you're gonna, basically you're going to lose vision of one eye. I don't know if you've ever seen um, uh, someone with what they call lazy eye. Um, my brother had a, a situation with his eyes where 
one of his one of his two eyes would just go completely off to the side and and so he he couldn't focus both eyes on the same point now he was young when this uh, became obvious to my parents and so they started taking him to, to to eye doctors who could hopefully help him, and a number of them tried and were unable to do so. Until finally they ran across an older man, an older doctor, and he said, I believe I can I can help him. And see what it what was wrong was the eye that would go off to the side was looser, the the um and I can't explain all the the but the how it was held and and, and able to focus, those uh, connections were, were looser than the eye that was good. And so the doctor actually said, he said, I'm actually going to operate on his good eye and I'm going to loosen it to the same degree the other eye is. And when he did that, it worked. And my brother's eyes are better than mine, he, 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 but he can focus both of his eyes. He's never had a problem since then. But what happened? He needed he needed to to get to the place where where his eyes were looking at the same thing, where they were focused, or he was in all probability going to lose the vision in one of his two eyes. And what Christ is saying is, you can't focus on two different things at the same time. It's either going to be God or Satan. It's either going to be living for yourself and living for now, or living for God and living for eternity. And he's saying if you if you live for self and now, you're spiritually blind and you're in great darkness. That's what he's saying. You're not seeing the, the, the foolishness of what you're doing. Now, a darkened eyes produce a darkened soul. And there's a couple ways you can look at this. Uh, could a saved person uh, be a person who is spiritually blind? Well, there there is a, a certain aspect of that. Um uh, Hebrews chapter twelve uh, may indicate some people who are saved, but but at the same time they've they've lost their spiritual insight, and so uh, and certainly as Christians we can lose our burden for eternal souls, we can lose our our um, hatred for what is evil, and begin to embrace some things that are evil in our lives. Uh, we can become more concerned with pleasing man than we are pleasing God. We can certainly allow private sin in our lives simply because uh, no one else knows about it or we think no one else knows. Uh, as Christians, we can um, uh, get away from worshiping God publicly and, and get involved in other things that, that take priority over, over, uh, over worshiping the Lord. So often uh, sports or, or family outings or whatever begin to trump and uh, supersede our commitment to spending time with God and God's people. And of course, that would be wrong. But I believe that the the main person he's talking about here is not a believer at all. It's a person who is an unbeliever, showing his or her true heart. I'll give you a couple passages that I think indicate that. The first one is in Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 15 to 17. It says this, Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And what he's talking about in the root of bitterness, he's actually referring back to um, a passage in the Old Testament uh, that discussed this, uh, where uh, God's commands would be given and the person would would be uh, in rebellion against them, even in his heart, saying, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to follow God's way. 
And he gives an example, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Esau, as the oldest son of his family, back in the days of the Old Testament called the Patriarch Period, we call that today, had the privilege of 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 getting double inheritance as the oldest son, but with that with that privilege came a great responsibility, and that was you were to be the spiritual leader uh, when you when you're when the when the father passed on. And so Esau, not valuing what he was given, Esau actually sold that privilege and responsibility for a bowl of soup when he was hungry to his to his twin brother who was just uh, minutes younger but he was willing to sell it cuz he was hungry and and the point was he's not looking down the road he's not thinking about the eternal value of 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 being a spiritual leader he didn't want that then it says this for you know that afterward when he wanted to inherit the blessing oh he wanted the inheritance didn't care about the spiritual leadership, but he wanted the inheritance. When he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. You see, he wanted the, the monetary benefit of being the uh, the oldest, he, but he had no time for God, and God wasn't going to have it. And God did not bless him as he would have, uh, because he basically was making his choice. I want to live for self, and I want to live for now. And I hope God gives me some blessings along the way. And there are many people that do that. First John chapter two talks about another um, uh, another incident that really indicates where again we're talking about unbelievers here. He who says, I'm in First John two verses nine to eleven. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. Now again, we're talking about light and darkness, believer, unbeliever. So the person that says, "Oh yeah, I'm a believer. I'm in the light." And hates his brother? John says, no, no, he's not a believer. He's in darkness, even till now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness, and walks in darkness, and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. There are many people who claim, oh yes, I'm a Christian, but they've walked away from church a long time ago because they, they really have a hatred in their heart for God's people. And what God is saying here, your brother here is not just merely your physical brother. He's talking about your spiritual brother. And he's saying if you have a hatred for for God's followers, for, for Christians, he's saying you're not in the light. And of course, that uh, so that hateful heart, Jesus had said earlier in this Sermon on the Mount, is the heart of the murderer. And John will tell you, no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So, clearly, uh, there are, uh, uh, we, uh, that whole thing of choosing between God and, and eternity and self and now has ramifications in the fact that when I choose to live for myself and, and live for now, I become blinded to the real issues that are important in life. I become blinded to God, and to the need to live for Him. Coming back to Matthew chapter 6, in verse 24, Jesus gives us a second um, picture as to why it uh, uh, you can't serve God and eternity and self and now at the same time. And He uses it with the master-slave relationship. 
In verse 24, he said, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon or possession. Again, you're boiling down to only two choices. You'll have to serve um, one or the other. You will serve what you can possess in this world, or else you're going to serve God. You can't serve God and mammon at the same time. Now, love for this world, again, remember, it doesn't indicate a backslidden Christian as much as it indicates an unbeliever. And why? It's because love for God and 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 his sworn enemy, because that, who is the one running the world? It is actually Satan himself. They They don't exist at the same time. You can't serve two masters. Satan is many times in the scriptures uh, referred to as some kind of an authority over the world. He's called the God of this world, the Prince of this world. He is he is presented as the one who's kind of running the show right now. Now, God is superseding all of that. God is only allowing Satan to go so far. We see that illustrated in, in the man Job and his life that we see in the in the book of Job. But that does not mean that Satan does not have great power. He does. And and people who serve him many times do get ahead in this life. And what the Lord is saying is you can't serve God and the God of this world at the same time. You can't do it. Now, suppose you had a girlfriend who you'd been dating for a year or, or longer, and things are going pretty well. And so you you decide, I'm going to drop off all the other interests and and. and and let her know that that I'm really I'm just going to date her. So she uh, also uh, claims to do the same, and so you seem to be really advancing in this relationship. Well, after several months of what you view as a uh, really a great and developing relationship, your girl runs across a young woman who you formerly dated, and this ex of yours was attractive enough, but once you got to know her, you realized that she was truly an untrustworthy, uh, wicked individual that that you just were not wanting to spend your life with. And in fact, when you broke it off with her, she was very angry about it and promised that she would never drop her hatred for you and that eventually she would get her revenge. So once your name came up with this uh, girl that you've been now dating for oh, over a year and you've really been developing a good relationship with, once once uh, this girl and your, your ex met, uh, your ex begins to lie about you, saying that you did things with her that were completely false, claiming that you were still seeing multiple other girls behind your girlfriend's back, even um, weaving some facts in that themselves might be true, like places you are or situations you were in or what you said, but they're told in such a way as to misrepresent you and to slander your character. Now, a particular interest to you, and when you really become aware of this this relationship that your girlfriend has with your ex, is uh, by your girlfriend's reaction. All of a sudden, she's listened to these uh, supposed facts about you, and you can tell that um, she, the relationship is changing. She's just not trusting you like she was. And and at first, when when um, you're, you notice her acting cool toward you, you pick up these vibes that that there's there's something going on. And finally, the truth comes out that she's been talking to your ex girlfriend, this girl that was so hateful when you broke up and determined to get revenge on you. 
So because you really do care about your new girlfriend, you work hard to set her straight. You go through all the stories, even though you're hurt on the fact that she would actually believe this stuff. You begin to set her straight. You kind of walk through uh, all the different things that you've uh, that, that that have slandered your character and explain it out. And it seems like um, she she gets the picture that this ex of yours has lied to her. Now all seems to be going better until you sense that boy, it just seems like the doubts are creeping into her mind again, and she's she's starting to drift away from me again. And it becomes obvious something's up. Well, you wonder why until one day you you um, you find her. Uh, you call her up and you say, "Well, you know, have have you been? Uh, how you doing? Would you like to spend a, you know supper together or whatever?" And and no, she comes up with an excuse. She doesn't really want to do that. And uh, uh, so you're you're just walking around that evening, and you walk past a restaurant, and here you find your your girlfriend sitting and talking and laughing and having a great old time with your ex-girlfriend who you know is doing her very best to slander you and and your girlfriend knows it now too. I mean, you told her that she was, uh, that there was a bunch of lies that your ex was telling her and you warned her to stay away from this girl and now you see that she's having a good old time laughing and joking and and you know, before the night's over, your character is going to be slandered again and again and again. How would you react to that? I'll tell you how I would react. I would be having a conversation the next time I had an opportunity with my with my uh, girlfriend. And I'd be saying, look, you're going to have to make a choice. You're either going to be loyal to me or you're going to be loyal to this girl that's lying to you and slandering me and hates me. You can't be loyal to us both at the same time. You just can't. That's what Jesus is saying. And can I say to you, there is no one who slanders God any more than Satan himself. James 4.4 says that friendship with the world is hostility to God. He calls us adulterers and adulteresses when we want to live for this life. And that spirit can creep into any one of us. But it is a spirit of disloyalty to God Almighty and to all that He has done for us. And so what Jesus is saying is you can't love God and possessions at the same time. You just can't do it. Now, does, that, does that mean you can't enjoy the truck that God has given you or the new home that God has given you or the old home that God has given you? Not at all. What it does mean is this. There can be no rivalry at all that I'm living for the Lord. I'm living for Him. Here's how 1 John 2.15 puts it. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Think about that. If you love the world, if if your focus is on money and possessions and what can I get next, and and sometimes, folks, it's not even a whole lot. We're thinking about the latest uh, video game we want, or or movie we want to go to, or whatever it is. We're not, but that becomes our focus. He's saying you can't love both at the same time. Remember what I said. You have two choices. You will either serve uh, what you can possess in this life, and Satan is behind it. Again, he's called the prince of this world, the god of this world, the prince of the power of the air. The Bible says that the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one in 1 John 5, 19. If I'm going to live for self and now, 
I am living for God's enemy. That's what he's saying. Or I'm going to serve the one who created this world and who created me and who truly loves me and who is being slandered uh, every day by the, the prince of this world, the, 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 the false um, ruler of this world. You can't serve both. Now, there's anxiety that comes out of that choice. Because I, I think if, if, if you're like many of, of us, uh, our basic concern is, well, what about if I, if I live for God and I really put God first in my life and let my life revolve around Him, what about my ba- basic needs? The fear that grips the hearts of people concerning putting God absolutely first in their lives boils down to a major question, and that is this. If I give God first place in every area of my life, how will I meet my basic needs? After all, if I don't take care of myself, who will? And Jesus' answer is that you can trust God, your Heavenly Father, to meet your needs. When you let God truly be your Father, you can trust Him. Now, he mentions here in the next section, and really this is what closes out chapter 6 in our time this morning, is verses 25 to 34, where he talks about the anxiety from this choice of putting God first. He recognizes what we struggle with. And so he gives us, in verses 25 to 30, some reasons why you can trust God. Verse 25, Therefore I say unto you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not the life more than food and the body than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Why can you trust God? Well, he gives really three examples of why. First of all, is God's care for the birds. You know, the birds have no plan to provide for their food. The birds have much less value to God than you do. And yet, God feeds them. And Jesus is saying, God can feed you too. Now again, he's not saying you can never invest money. He's not saying you can't work a regular job. He's not saying you can't plan on a vacation. He's not saying that at all. What he is saying is this, don't let your life revolve around that. God can take care of you. I remember uh, years ago, and again, I grew up in a pastor's home. We, we, we A large family. We had five children. I was the youngest uh, my, my parents sacrificed uh, tremendously uh, to send me to a to uh, uh, Christian schools, private Christian schools. So they they sacrificed really um, a lot of uh, of their hard earned money to give me a, a, a good education uh, through my elementary and high school years. And they were more concerned, honestly, about the Christian uh, aspect of it. Uh, but I was blessed by that. But by the time I came to college. Uh, there was there they had no money to uh, to be able to send me to college. They did have enough money. My dad scraped enough money together to get me in. Uh, I forget what the entrance fee. We're talking 1981, so I think the entrance fee for the college university I was going to was about $500. Christian school I was going to study for the ministry. I had to um, uh, I qualified for a full Pell grant, so that 
paid about half, and then I did student loan for the other half of my uh, tuition. But I remember going one day, I used to visit um, uh, for our the church that I was attending while I was in college, and we would invite people to go to church. Many times we'd go into the poor neighborhoods where people may not have transportation, or maybe their parents didn't want to uh, get up on a Sunday morning and take them. And so we would go, and we would invite people in those neighborhoods. And I remember going to a house one day, and I'm in my early 20s, and, and um, if that, it may have been even earlier than that, it may have been 18 or 19. And I remember encountering an adult who's look at me, looking at me, and, and you know, I was, I was dressed nicely. Uh, I had a suit, uh, you know, a suit coat on and a, and a tie on. I was trying to represent the church, and I'm representing the Lord, so I wanted to look good. And the guy looked at me, and he's saying, like, well, you don't really understand. Um, and, and he said, well, uh, and I, I said, what do you mean? He said, well, like he said, what do you, you know, you got this nice suit on. Where'd you get that from? And the honest to goodness truth was it was given to me. <laughs> and so I just looked at him. I said, well, it was given. To me. And, and, and he just shook his head like, I don't even believe you. But that was the reality. That was the truth. It wasn't that I had a lot of money. I didn't. Um, uh, I got, but God, God took care of me. And I found that always to be true. When, when, when my wife and I were getting married and I told her how much I was making, uh, this is years later, uh, I was working three jobs and, and getting paid not very much at any one of them. And when I told her what I was making, she she said out loud, and, and but she really did mean it. She said, I don't know whether to laugh or to cry. Um, you know, she was making a good salary uh, teaching in a public school. We were going to move out to my area. She was not going to get anywhere near the salary because she was going to be teaching in our small Christian school. Um, we didn't have a lot of ways to make ends meet. But God took care of us. Always, always. Um, you find that that the Lord takes care of his own. I, and I can't explain it all to you, but it's the truth. And Jesus is saying here, God cares for the birds. Don't you think he's going to care for you? A second example he gives is, is the worthlessness of worry. Back in verse 27, he said, which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? Now, it's rather interesting because the word cubit there uh, can be used to, to as a measurement for, for like length or height, or it can be used as a measurement of time. And I found it interesting, as I was just looking this over even just this, um, this morning, that the word for height there can add uh, like a, a cubit to his stature or his height. The word there really does mean your lifespan or your time on earth. So Jesus could be saying one of two things there. Uh, does worry give you one more 18 inches on your height? Boy, I, just, I wish it did. Because uh, I, I actually one of the things I like to do is coach basketball. I would love if I could get kids to worry enough to get to get 18 inches on their, that's a cubit, on their height. That'd be a wonderful thing. Well, Jesus is saying that's not going to happen. So worry doesn't do any good for your height. It also doesn't do any good for your length, your lifespan either. That's the other way you can interpret the, the idea of adding length to your life. No, worrying doesn't give do you a lot of good. So worthlessness of worry. Why ought you to trust God? Well, first, because God cares for the birds. Secondly, worry doesn't do any good anyway. And third, 
Look at the lilies of the field. Lilies, lilies do not work to provide for themselves. Lilies are more beautiful than the richest humans. When he mentions Solomon, he was the richest man. He's saying Solomon could not, could not have clothes more beautiful than God has made the flowers of the field. And lilies are of far less value than you are as a human being before God. God made you in his image. Now, what is Christ saying here? He's saying, you can trust me. You can trust me. And you can trust the Lord. He's not saying don't work. He's not saying uh, don't have a bank account. But he's saying, don't let that be what consumes you. You can trust God. Now, there are challenges. And so he challenges us now, not just, okay, here's some reasons, but now he's going to come as, the, as he concludes this section of his sermon and really puts it to us, really challenges us. Therefore, verse 31, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Now think about that in the light of this pandemic. I I know that there are many that are struggling financially. And the Lord is encouraging you to trust him. Pray. Give that burden to him. And watch watch him work on your behalf. He's saying, don't live. Like when he says the Gentiles, he's talking about the, the pagans. He's saying, do not live like a pagan. What are they? They're, they're all concerned about what they're going to eat or drink or wear. That's like an unbeliever. That's what he's talking about. Don't live like an unbeliever. He's saying instead, verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Seek God's kingdom and seek to live a righteous life. That's what your focus should be on. That's living for God in eternity instead of living for self and now. And he gives you one more challenge. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Jesus is saying, don't live like an unbeliever. Seek God's kingdom and his righteousness and don't worry about tomorrow. You know why? Because you got enough to worry about today. That's what he's saying. You got enough to worry about right now. And we do. So how do, well, let's make some conclusions here and we'll apply this and we'll be done. Let's conclude, number one, that Satan is behind the anti-God mindset of, of society. And this is, in, this is not something new. This is the way the world operates and that is we tend to live for self and now. We tend to live for what we can see and feel and touch. But those who would truly love this world and its mindset, Jesus is saying, are lost. They're blind. They can't see. They're not looking beyond. Thirdly, you cannot serve both God and this world. You can't do both. You're going to have to focus on one or the other. Can you have a job? Absolutely. Can you can you make money? Absolutely. Can you save that? Absolutely. No, no problem. But that should not be your focus. Where is your heart? What is your mind really running to? To live for God completely is going to require faith. It does. And one of the biggest worries we have is if I if I really put God first, how am I going to be taken care of? And the, and what I'm going to just tell you is the truth, and that is God takes care of you. He does. As you put God first, you can trust him to meet your needs. And there's been so many examples of this um, that you see throughout society. I think of the uh, guy who just had an advertisement on uh, the other night I saw, uh, uh, the guy who sells my pillows, And his life was a mess. And he will tell you 
that at at a critical point in his life, he just turned everything over to the Lord. And it wasn't all that long ago. And God really stepped in and helped him. Uh, Why? Because there came a point where he realized, I'm living for now. I'm living for self. I can't do it. It's all falling apart on me. And it does. Eventually, it always does. So I'd encourage you in closing, examine your heart. What are the areas in which you refuse to put God first? Do you, do you fear full surrender in, in, in saying, well, okay, I'm going to make a commitment to be at public worship. And I know right now many of the churches may not be open yet. But, but when, that, when you're allowed to again, when you're able to get out and your church is open or, or find a Bible preaching church, will you make that commitment to say, you know what, I'm going to put God first in that. I'm not going to let other things trump spending time with God. Public worship. How about your finances? Are you going to put God first there? Can you trust to give Him first? To, to invest, uh, uh, not, not obviously you're going to feed your family, you're going to invest for the future, there's nothing wrong with that, but, but will you put his, his spot first? Will you give to God and others first? How about your public witness? Say, well, boy, people won't like me. And that's very possibly true. I'm, I'm sure there are many people that don't like me. That's, that's just life. But the reality is, are, are we going to be silenced from being a witness for Christ simply because we're afraid to put God first? And how about surrendering some evil practice, some evil habit in your life? Something that you know that God's not pleased with. Put Him first. Do you, do you truly love this world instead of God? That example that I gave about the girlfriend who chooses your enemy over you. Oh, let's not do that to the Lord who's given us far more, who's far better character than we would ever have. Let's not choose to listen to the slanders of Satan in this world over God. And do you see God's love behind Jesus' words that he wants to set you free from worry and fear and sin itself and its penalty? Romans 5.1, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came and laid down his life on the cross so that you could be forgiven for your sins and have peace with God and be able to trust God as your heavenly Father, to be able to talk to Him and fellowship with Him. He wants to not only save you, He wants to walk with you through life and to meet your needs now. If you will trust Him with your eternal soul, you can trust Him with your temporary needs as well. You really can. And I pray that God will help you to do that very thing. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for those who have listened. Thank you for your word and for Christ's words. Lord, these are what what our, our Savior has said. And he's taught us much today about not living for self and now, but to live for you and for eternity. And Lord, that's a scary thing for we in our foolishness. It's, it's a very scary thing for us because we think I've got to have control. And the truth is, when we are in control, we never realize that many times, but it's true. Help us to trust you, Lord, to put our faith and trust in, in what you can do. And Lord, for any who haven't accepted Christ, we pray that today would be the day when they would do that very thing. In Jesus' name, amen. When you stop to think about it, Jesus' words make sense that it is far better to live your life for what will last eternally than to focus on laying up treasure for what will eventually rot or be stolen. This certainly is reasonable to a person who truly believes in God and eternal life, but it makes no sense to one who has no genuine faith in the Lord. So how about you? 
Do the choices you have made even in this past week reflect your desire to live for what you cannot currently see or your determination to get what you want now? Still, you may be wondering, how can I live for what will matter eternally? First, you need to make sure that you have a personal relationship with God through Christ yourself. Being religious is not good enough. Attending church, any church, is not the key to heaven. Repenting of your sin and putting your faith in Christ alone for your salvation is what God requires to become his child. The Apostle Peter put it this way when he was standing before a group of very religious but lost men. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. After establishing a personal relationship with God through Christ, believers need to worship their Lord both privately and publicly. This is why down through the centuries Christians have studied their Bibles, prayed both publicly and privately, and have met for public worship. Closely linked with a Christian's love for the Savior is his love for his fellow man. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 24 and 25 states, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more as ye see the day, that is the day of Christ's return, approaching. Thus, as seen in these verses, even your church attendance is linked to encouraging others. Christian love is truly a beautiful thing to see in action, but all too often love for others is discussed but not practiced. Yet, if you as Christ's true follower will allow the love Jesus has placed in you and that he feels for others to shine out of your heart, that is when others will see Christ's love through your life. If you would like to speak to someone who could help you place your faith in Christ, or if you have drifted in your walk with the Lord and would like prayer and some counsel from God's Word, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Pastor Jones began the study of the messages of Christ in our church about two years ago, so if you'd like to see the original video sermons of this ongoing series, you can find them on our Facebook page at Calkins Baptist Church. If any of you would like to share this radio message with a friend, we also have a podcast listed on the website for this station. Just search for the Bold Gold Media Group, look for the Radio Bold app, and then find podcasts on that page. Calkins Baptist Church is listed there. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.